Good morning. Well, as advertised, we are today beginning a new series. It's entitled Future or Fairy Tale What the Bible Teaches About the Afterlife. And let me explain that a bit. Uh, afterlife, that means after this life. The life you're living now, the life I'm living now, we all know that at some point that life is going to cease. And the question is, what happens then? What comes next? Is there something that comes next? And is, is that something that we should look forward to? Is that something we should dread or is it something we don't really need to bother thinking about much? And we're going to be looking at what the Bible, uh, what Scripture teaches about that. What is our destiny? Um, it seems like for many people in our culture, for sure, but even sometimes uh, people in churches, uh, we, we tend to kind of go toward that third option of thinking about it as little as possible uh, our culture seems to think that thinking about those kinds of questions, death and so on, that's, that's kind of morbid and a waste of time and all that. Um, I don't know if it feels like an important topic to you right now, but I can tell you sooner or later it will. It really will. Last week, uh, one member of our church family Turn in, you know, those connect cards in your folder. You can use those to turn in prayer requests. And last week, uh, one of our church family members turned in a prayer request for a, a good friend of hers whose 20-year-old son just passed away of leukemia. And so you could ask yourself, well, what if that was me? You know, what if it were my son or my brother or my uncle, or some, someone close to me. You know, it's at, at times like that, questions about the afterlife become far more than just theoretical. They become very personal. And the reality is, those times are coming for each one of us, sooner or later. That's, that's going to happen. And actually, it turns out this is an important topic, even if... There's not somebody you know or close to or even yourself facing imminent death. What you actually really believe about the future, your future, will affect how you live today, um, whether you're consciously aware of it or not. I talked about this a bit last week on Easter Sunday. I talked about the issue of hope. And how hope is the expectation, the anticipation that something good is coming your way. So if what you're going through right now is just difficult, ugly, tedious, whatever, if you know, if you're confident that eventually something good's coming, that's hope. And that changes you know, how you handle what you're going through today. Well, what if you don't believe that? What if you don't know that? What if, what if you're not convinced that your future is going to be good? 
well, then it's very easy to slip into hopelessness and despair if you don't really believe anything good's coming. So, had already been thinking about this a couple months ago as I was considering, you know, what, what specifically to focus on on Easter Sunday and then thinking about, you know, what to do after Easter series to follow up. So I'd already been thinking about this, what the Bible teaches about the future, hope, and so on. And then something happened a couple of weeks ago that just sealed the deal for me. Um, physicist Stephen Hawking died. You're probably aware of that because the media gave his death a great deal of attention and in all the media coverage, they emphasized how brilliant and how well-respected uh, this scientist was. And, and in addition to that, they emphasized something else. They emphasized Hawking's personal belief about the afterlife. I don't know if you caught that, um, but it got a lot of attention. His belief about the afterlife meaning there isn't one. So I just want to read you a quote. This is from a USA Today article about him. Quote, legendary physicist Stephen Hawking. By the way, I don't know what you have to do to become legendary, but that's impressive. It really is. Legendary physicist Stephen Hawking lived for decades with the prospect of death hanging over his head. That's because he was diagnosed with ALS, uh, otherwise known as Lou Gehrig's disease, when he was 21. So he, he lived for decades with the prospect of death hanging over his head, but unlike, <laughs> unlike the rest of us, he never worried about what's next. Now, I don't know if that's just the reporter drawing that conclusion or if that's something Stephen Hawking himself actually said, never ever worried about it. I find that a little hard to believe, but let's go with it. Uh, Hawking, who died at 76, spoke candidly in a 2011 interview about what he believes happen when people die. He told the Guardian newspaper that while he wasn't afraid of death, he was in no hurry to die. Now here's the key quote. I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail, he said. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. It should come as no surprise that Hawking was not religious. In Hawking's 2010 book, The Grand Design, Hawking said that a creator is not necessary in the narrative of how the world was created, end quote. I don't know how you respond to that. I don't know what it does to you when someone as smart and as famous as Stephen Hawking says that belief in heaven, belief in the afterlife, a belief cherished by millions of people around the globe, that, that belief is nothing more than a fairy tale. But I can tell you it gets me a little fired up. And that's not just because I think he's wrong, though I do. 
It's because I'm convinced that that point of view is very damaging, very destructive. And I'm not just talking about hurting my feelings because he said I was afraid of the dark. Um, it does seem a little demeaning to say that, but that's not really the problem, hurting my feelings or somebody else's feelings. The problem, the problem is what it does to people when they reject because they think there's good reasons for rejecting what Scripture teaches, what Jesus said about heaven and the afterlife. The consequences of that, the real-life consequences of that, are far more serious than many people seem to think, including people who hold that view. And there are several very prominent these days, very prominent, very articulate, well-spoken people who are actively promoting this view that, that heaven, the afterlife, those are nothing more than fairy tales. So you've got people like Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Daniel Dennett, uh, the late Christopher Hitchens. They've written lots of books, lots of articles, given lots of interviews, basically invested a lot of time and energy to convince the rest of us with very persuasive arguments that there is no heaven, there is no afterlife, there is no supernatural realm, and above all, there is no God. Nothing exists but matter and energy, the material world, the material universe, there is nothing beyond that. There is behind it all no purpose. There is no plan. There is no design. Nothing but molecules in motion. Here's a quote from Dawkins. He says, think about it. On one planet, and possibly only one planet in the entire universe, molecules that would normally make nothing more complicated than a chunk of rock gather themselves together into chunks of matter of such staggering complexity that they are capable of running, jumping, swimming, flying, seeing, hearing, capturing, and eating other animated chunks of matter, or complexity, capable in some cases of thinking and feeling and falling in love with other chunks of complex matter. You should keep that in mind when you buy a Valentine card next. <laughs> I don't know why it is that a complex chunk of matter like me loves a complex chunk of matter like you, but I do. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. He's talking even about himself. He's saying you are nothing more. You are nothing more than a complex, a chunk of complex matter made up of molecules that happen to gather themselves together. The thing is, the thing is, almost 
no one consistently lives as if they really believe that. And we should be grateful for that. In fact, I'm not convinced that Richard Dawkins himself consistently lives as if he really believes that. And I'm sure he would say he does, and he would vehemently uh, argue with me for suggesting otherwise. But here's the thing. If he's right, and if Stephen Hawking is right, and the rest of them are right, and there is no heaven, and there is no afterlife, that there is no supernatural realm, that there is no God, here's the inevitable conclusion. Nothing matters. Nothing matters. Because there is no purpose. There is no plan. There is no design. There is no meaning. In order to have meaning, you have to have a person who means it. Think about it. And so what is the answer to, well, what do things mean? What do all these complex chunks of matter mean? They don't mean anything. But most of us can't seem to help living as if some things do matter. We just can't help it. You live as if you matter. You live as if other people matter. You live as if what you do each day matters. Human lives have meaning. They have value. They have significance. And how we treat one another matters. Justice. Goodness. Are those just simply a matter of personal preference? Because they are, if those guys are right. When you talk about justice and goodness, you're just saying what you happen to like. And evil's just what you don't like. Really? There really is no... No, we're all thinking to ourselves, that's just not right. Some things are right. Some things really are wrong. When somebody goes into a school and shoots 17 teenagers dead, that's not just a matter of personal opinion that, well, I don't like it, but hey, to each his own. We're all making it up as we go. No, that's wrong, isn't it? How you feel about it is beside the point. But that's not true if Hawking and others are correct. If they're right, our instincts that some things are right and some things are wrong and there really are absolute things like justice and mercy and goodness and truth, that's just delusional thinking if they're right. That's just a bunch of fairy tales for people who can't handle the cold, hard truth. It's actually pretty interesting. There are very few who consider themselves atheists, materialists, who will actually come out and say that <laughs> because it's bad PR. There are a few of them that will say, hey, let's just quit kidding ourselves. Let's just tell everybody nothing matters. I hope you can see, or at least begin to see, why what you believe, really believe, about the future, about the afterlife, about God, is a much, much bigger deal than simply how to cope with death and dying. It's a much bigger deal. False beliefs about the future will affect how you live today. 
False beliefs about the future will affect how you live today. In fact, the main Bible passages we are going to be looking at um, as we go through this series, they deal with several problems, and the way they deal with those problems is by correcting false ideas about the future. Uh, Mainly, we are going to be working our way through the books in the New Testament of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and I know if you're new to the Bible, that's a really funny word, Uh, Thessalonians. What is a Thessalonian? A Thessalonian was a resident of the town of Thessalonica, which is part of present-day Greece, I believe, Greece or Macedonia. At any rate, the Apostle Paul wrote to some believers in Jesus in the town of Thessalonica, so those are the first and second letters to the Thessalonians. These books have a lot to say about the future. That's why we're going to be looking primarily at them, although we'll bring in some other passages as well. I should give you a couple examples. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Paul writes, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and, here it comes, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So that's a belief about the future. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 15 and 16, Paul says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, from Jesus, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, the future coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's a belief about the future. That's teaching about the future. Second Thessalonians 1, 6 and 7, God is just, righteous, He will, future, pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. That's teaching about the future. That's a belief about the future. Is it the future? Is it the future? Or is that a fairy tale? Are there good reasons for believing that's the future? Does it matter? You just say, well, who cares? Let's just, let's just live our lives. We'll just pretend it matters. Well, it really does matter. Uh, I just want to point out a few serious problems that are created by false beliefs about the future. These are three false beliefs that the letters to the Thessalonians specifically address to deal with these problems. So I'm just going to highlight three problems really quick. The first problem, when you have a false belief about the future, one serious problem that can create is instability. Instability. That is not stability. So, in chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul tells his readers not to be unsettled. Some of them were 
getting all disturbed, upset, instability. And it's kind of from drama to drama to being upset, getting shaken. And what was bothering them was that after Paul and his uh, co-workers had been there in Thessalonica and started the church there, they had gone on to other places, and word got back to the Thessalonians that Paul and his co-workers were suffering serious persecution. They were really getting into trouble, and that really bothered them. They, they thought that that shouldn't be happening, and they were kind of like, whoa, whoa we, we thought God was in charge. We thought, you know, all these good things were going to happen. What's going on? And Paul writes to them, and he says, you know quite well that we were destined for them, for these things. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. So see what he's doing? He's stabilizing them with the truth about the future. We told you this was going to happen. Settle down. Don't get all flustered and confused. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says this. Concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, talking about his future coming, and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. So, apparently, Paul had taught them some things about the future, about this future day of the Lord. And we'll be talking about that. What is that? And he had taught them about that and told them that, you know, some things had to happen first. Well, they either were not paying attention. That never happens, right? They either weren't paying attention. Yeah. Huh? Thank you, dear. Uh, they either weren't paying attention or they forgot because uh, somehow they got word that the day of the Lord had already come and they thought, what? Well, we missed it. And they were very upset, unstable, unsettled. And he's correcting them by correcting their false idea about the future. Here's the thing. Jesus told us something about the future. He said, in this world, you will have, anybody know what the word is? Trouble. Trouble. And if you think that when you put your faith in Jesus, everything's just going to be smooth sailing until he comes back to get you or you die and go to heaven, you're going to have a really tough time when what he actually said is going to happen, happens. You're going to have trouble. If you don't know that, then you're going to have very much difficulty dealing with that without worrying, without panicking, without getting angry. But that's not the kind of life Jesus calls us to live. In fact, the Bible says that we're to no longer be infants, <laughs> tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. This world's unstable. And in the midst of this unstable world, believers in Jesus are to be stable. 
We're to have a sense of calm, a sense of confidence, because we know. We know who holds the future, and we know what's coming. Stability comes from knowing and believing the truth, including the truth, maybe especially the truth about the future. Second problem created by false ideas about the future is despair. I already mentioned this. I said earlier that without hope, without the expectation that the future is going to be good, it's, it's very easy to slip into despair. And you can see this in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Look what he says. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. That is, we don't want you to be ignorant. We don't want to believe things that aren't true about the future. About those who are asleep. Now he's talking here about fellow believers, fellow Christians who have died. We don't want you to be uninformed about them, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Grief without hope is despair. So to keep them from despair, Paul goes on in the verses that follow to tell them what happens to believers in Jesus who die. So they don't despair. So they know the truth about the future. Hey, it's okay. Your brothers and sisters who have died, they're fine. In fact, they're way better than fine. Here's what you need to know about them. Third problem. So if you believe things that aren't true about the future, you can, it can lead to instability. It can lead to despair. Third thing it can lead to is irresponsibility. Irresponsibility. Think about it. If what you do today will not matter in the slightest tomorrow, nothing you do today will make any difference. It won't matter tomorrow at all what you do today. Why in the world should you bother living responsibly? Oh, well, what's the point? Because, you know, life is full of responsibilities. And the more you grow up, the more responsibilities you get. We call it adulting these days. I mean, you got to drag yourself out of bed. You got to go to work. You got to be responsible, do your job so you can take care of your family and all these responsibilities. What is the point? What is the point if nothing we do makes any difference? And it won't matter tomorrow anyway. In fact, it probably won't even matter today. Why not simply take advantage of other people's generosity and do whatever you want? Apparently, that's what some people in the church of Thessalonica were doing. They got this false notion that Jesus was coming back like tomorrow or maybe the next day or this next weekend at the latest. So they said to themselves, why should we work? This is stupid. Let's just enjoy life. And, you know, those who have more than we do, we'll just, they'll, they'll share with us. We're nice. 
and they were living irresponsibly. They were living off the generosity of other people. So Paul writes to clear up this misunderstanding in 2 Thessalonians 3.6. He says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition you receive from us. We did not tell you Jesus is coming back next weekend. We don't know when he's coming back, and we definitely didn't tell you to live irresponsibly in the meantime. Quit your jobs and, you know, live off other people's generosity. No. We showed you by our example and by our teaching, you are to live responsibly in response to the truth about the future. Anybody who thinks that the future hope of heaven is an excuse to live irresponsibly today has not understood the truth about the future. That's a false idea. You'll hear it, you know. Some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. No. The problem is not that they're too heavenly minded. They're not heavenly minded enough. They're not thinking the truth about the future. It creates problems when you believe things about the future that aren't true. What you really believe not merely what we say we believe, but what we really believe about the future affects how we live today. It matters. It matters if you believe that how you live today will make a difference. How you treat other people, is that going to matter? What you spend your time doing, what you seek to accomplish today, tomorrow, at work, at school, at home, in your community, whatever, is that going to make any difference? And when the trouble that Jesus said was coming, when it comes, you're going to be able to cope with that? Am I? Well, it depends a great deal on whether we think that the future will be as the Bible describes it, as Scripture describes it, as Jesus said it will be, or whether we think that's all a fairy tale. Pretty sure you're getting an idea of where I'm coming from. But the real question is going to be, what do you think? What do you really believe? because it's going to make a difference. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you want us to know the truth. That's why you have given us your word. Jesus said he came to bear witness to the truth and to give his life as a ransom for many. Lord, we, we dare not separate those things. We dare not separate believing that Jesus loved me and died for me, separating that from what he taught me, what he wants me to know about the future, Help us, Lord. Help us listen. Give us ears to hear and give us minds to discern. Help us know the truth and live the truth and embrace the truth because this world is desperately in need of your good news. So are we. 
And Lord, if, if, if we know the truth, it's not because there's anything inherently better about us than somebody who maybe doesn't know or is confused. You've just been merciful to us and you want us to share the truth with others. So help us, Lord. Help us have ears to hear. Help us listen. Help us get it and really get it. And may we live with that stability, that response, the kind of life that points other people to you. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.